Amen. Have you ever wondered why there are certain stories within the Bible? Um, why they put, why, why did these things come together? What was it uh, for? And, and, and what did it mean to the people who were originally reading uh, these particular texts? Well, Daniel chapter 6 is, is, is one of the last in the story of the exiled Hebrew people. Uh, this is the point where uh, everything is turning. They are starting to get their freedom back. They are starting to get their opportunities to go back to Jerusalem. Um, but they have not gotten to that point yet. Ezra and Nehemiah tell us a lot more about that particular story. But this particular chapter in Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, it leads us right into that because, as you know, in the last chapter, it concluded with the end of the Babylonian Empire. And as it concluded the Babylonian Empire, it began the Medo-Persian Empire. And it says uh, at the end of chapter 5, and Darius the Mede became the king. Uh, and so that's where we find ourselves here. Darius the Mede is now king. And this story, which has been told pretty consistently, I'm pretty sure many of you have heard of Daniel in the lion's... Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, just this past week, uh, my son was reading this in his Read to Me Bible. Um, and it's one of those things that we don't hold back because it's kind of, you know, anytime Bible stories include animals, you know, we, we kind of give them to our kids. Oh, look, he's playing with the lions. And, you know, it's easy to draw pictures and things like that. But the reality of that story and what my son and I were talking about was the faithfulness of God to Daniel and God's ability to miraculously deliver miraculously deliver. So why would a story like this be included in the Old Testament? Well, consider the fact that the Hebrew people had been exiled and even um, pushed aside. Some of them marginalized for such a long period of time. They're in a place where they're not experiencing a tremendous amount of hope. They don't have anything. They don't have even a lot of the traditions that they, that they had. And so Daniel includes this within his journal, and they would have been the earliest readers, those who were returning to Jerusalem, those who were resettling the area, and they're looking at this particular passage, and they're saying, really, is God that faithful? Does God deliver us? Does God take us from horrible situations? And he returns us and protects us with his righteous hand. That's the reason why this particular book is here. It gives hope. It gives hope that it doesn't matter what uh, era you find yourself in, that God is still a deliverer. It doesn't matter if you find yourself in 1940s Germany and you just happen to be a Jew. God is a deliverer. God is a healer. God can make things right. It doesn't matter when you find yourself, when you look at something like this, you find yourself praying, Lord, if you could deliver Daniel, would you deliver me? And that brings hope. And so I want to encourage you to have faith because God delivers. Be faithful because God delivers. But what does a life of faithfulness to God look like? What does it produce? What happens? If you and I consistently find ourselves being faithful, what does it produce? I mean, just think about many of, of you who have experienced a job interview. What you're asking yourself along the way is, if I stay with this organization, if I stay with this company, what do I get? 
You know, there was a time where you would consider, oh, you know, after you stay here for five to six years, you get vested into the pension program, and then you get this and all these other things. What do I get? Well, what do you get if you stay faithful to the Lord? That's a tough thing to, to launch into because there's not a lot of faithfulness that we commit to in the world. We don't commit to long-term faithfulness in relationships and marriage. We don't commit to long-term faithfulness in jobs. Do you know the average person only spends four and a half years on a job? In 1990, it was 15 years. So we're consistently decreasing in our commitments to things. But as we commit ourselves to things, what we often find is that there is skill and that there is expertise and there is wisdom and knowledge that is gained over the long periods of time. So what does that mean for our faith? That means in our long-term commitment to our faith, we find skill and we find a, uh, an ability to consistently do what God has called us to do, even in tough seasons. So the first thing that we find that, that comes out of Christian faithfulness is Christian faithfulness will often expose cultural opposition. It will often expose cultural opposition. And we'll see what that means in just a second. Let's look at Daniel chapter 6. We'll read the first few chapters, uh, first few verses. And it says, And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps could give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. As I mentioned before, Darius is now this ruler, and he's organizing his, uh, his, his reign. He's organizing his kingdom, and he's setting above uh, all of the regions 120 satraps. And what a satrap was was basically the best reference I could give you is a county. What we understand to be county, and there were leaders of these satraps, uh, and we would just call them nowadays like a county executive who was over that. But then over those county executives, he set three particular people who were presiding over all of the 120 satraps that were there. So as Darius is organizing everything, what he's recognizing is that Daniel is special. Daniel had been special. Daniel previously was one of the, uh, the wise men uh, in the previous kingdom, but not only was Daniel one of the wise men from the previous kingdom, but he also has a particular expertise with these now exiles who are remaining in this area. And as he's organizing them, maybe Daniel can give wisdom on these particular Hebrew exiles as well as what it was like to rule over these regions in the Babylonian Empire. But even more than that, Daniel just proved himself to be a very valuable person, a very wise person. So he figured that Daniel would be a good choice to elevate him from these three presiding leaders to, you know what, let's just put him number one. And so that way there would be me, the king, Darius, and then there'll be Daniel. 
Uh, and that way I know that things will get done properly. And it says here that it was to make sure that the king suffered no loss. We had to make sure that the government continued to run, that taxes were still collected, that everything happened in order. And who better to make sure that things happened in order than this statesman, Daniel? So he made plans to place Daniel as the chief leader over the entire kingdom, second only to him. But then the problem comes up because some of these satraps, maybe not all of the satraps, but some of these satraps, uh, the leaders there, and possibly even uh, one of the other two uh, presiding leaders, decided that uh, we don't like the idea of Daniel being over us. We don't like the idea of this uh, former exile who, who really shouldn't even be in this position in the first place over us. We don't like that idea. And so we're going to do something. We're going to see if we can find some ways. Go check out his finances. Go check out his books. Go check out his house. Go check out his relationships and see if there's anything in there that we can knock him down a peg because we don't think he's as good as the king says he is. So they continue to go in and look at Daniel and they're trying to find something, but it says they cannot find anything. No error or fault was found in him. There was no error found in him because he was doing his job at a high level, even as an exile. He was doing his job at a high level, so much so that it was pleasing to the kings that he had served. And it created this distrust with those who were just, just marginally doing their jobs. But what also ends up happening is as he is being faithful, they're recognizing that he is primarily faithful to one. And so they say and they conspire within themselves that if we are going to attack Daniel, if we're going to bring him down, then we're going to have to put a wedge between Daniel, his God, and the king. Now, as you are walking out your life, as you are, are trying to live out your faith, what is going to happen is there will be people who say, you don't have to have that level of integrity on this job. You don't have to do things completely. I mean, if you do everything today, then what will you do tomorrow? So don't, don't, don't worry about it. Just, just, you know, put that aside. Put it in a drawer. Don't worry about it. Get to it later. Get to it. I mean, you know, it's just a job. It's just, you know, you're driving down the street, and this, is a, this was a big conversation um, with the kids this week because we were driving, and uh, the kids saw somebody throw a cup and it had ice and drinks and everything just out the window. And one of my daughters just erupted, what are you doing? <laughs> it, you've seen it. Hopefully you've not participated in it. But I had to explain to her that everybody doesn't feel the same way that we do about that. That we would clean out our car and toss stuff into the trash can. Or sometimes they just stuff it under the seat. Um, but everybody does not live at a high, integrous level. But we as believers should be like Daniel, living at the highest points of integrity. We as believers should be setting the mark. It doesn't matter where we are in regards to what integrity means so that it can be trusted when we say something. Don't just let your yes be yes and your no be no when you're in the church. Let that be the case when you're outside the church so that when you tell someone that Jesus is king, 
that Jesus is my love, they don't have to, well, what, is, what angle is he coming at? What's he trying to get at? If he says Jesus is the right way, Jesus must be the right way because everything he does, he is excellent in what he does. Everything she does, she speaks the truth. And so when she says that she has searched Scripture and she has found Scripture to be true, Scripture is true. That's the kind of people that we should be, and that's the kind of people, that's the kind of person that we saw Daniel being. Often we are told that if we're faithful to God, then we'll enjoy our best life now. That being a committed Christian all of a sudden opens up all the doors of blessing. And sometimes those blessings do occur. Daniel did get promoted. Daniel did live a pretty decent life. But opposition also comes. It would be malpractice of me as a pastor to tell you that once you become a Christian that everything is, 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 is sunshine and rainbows. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. Oftentimes, opposition will come, and part of that opposition comes so that we might be able to show the goodness and the glory of God in our lives. John 15 says it like this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. That's Jesus speaking. And the Apostle Peter reminds us also in 1 Peter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Paul told Timothy this, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So let it be known that it was stated from this pulpit that if you are a follower of Christ, persecution will come. But I think what Daniel also shows us is that deliverance will also come. The glory of God will also come, and it'll produce a deeper faithfulness in us. I heard a story of a man in Casper ten Boom, uh, who was a Dutch watchmaker in the 20th century in, in Nazi Germany, and he was very much so opposed to the anti-Semitism of Nazi Germany. Um, and the persecution of the Jewish people, so much so that as he was sympathetic to them, he actually donned the, uh, the Star of David on his sleeve, marking him with them. Uh, and he would hide them. He would help them as they were being persecuted along the way. And in 1944, the Gestapo raided his home and arrested Casper. They threw him in jail, and they kept him in jail. And while he was in jail, uh, he actually ended up dying. But he went to this, these inns because he believed in Christ, because he believed that this was the right thing to do, that even though the law of the land was to give up those who were uh, enemies of the state, he chose not to do so because he would rather violate the laws of the state than violate the laws of his God. Do we struggle with that today? But a beautiful result of Christian faithfulness is that it exposes this opposition, and we can stand on God's faithfulness because he delivers. But one of the things it also shows us, when it comes down to it, it actually shakes out of us our true character. When we face opposition, when we face struggles, it shakes out of us our true character. Some of us uh, who were fasting in the last couple of weeks, you recognize that in the process of the fasting, there were some things about you that you didn't have completely under control. Remember there was a time when I first uh, started fasting and I fasted from TV and I realized that, man, I need TV. TV does something for me. It doesn't matter what's on the TV. I just want to watch it. I just need to have it on. 
We all know the, the pangs that come when we fast from food. And the question is, will you trust the Lord to alleviate those pangs, those hunger, those, those hunger issues? Will you trust the Lord to do those things? When we face opposition, when we face struggle, it reveals to us who we are. Christian faithfulness cultivates uncompromising character, and this is what we're about to see in Daniel. Let's look at verse number six. It says, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Verse number 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to the house where he had windows in his upper chamber upon, uh, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. One of the amazing things that we see here is that after all of this gets passed, Daniel's not anxious about anything. Daniel's not shaken by this decree that is passed. And number one, just know that every time somebody levies something against you, it's not necessarily the truth because what we see here is that they went to Darius and they said that all the satraps and all the governors, everybody's on board with this, but I'm 100% sure they didn't talk to Daniel. And so they lied to the king to get these things passed. Now that's a error on the king's part that he should have been more thorough so that, let that be a lesson to us as leaders that when those who come to you with particular things do the proper work, do the proper vetting so that you don't end up in a situation that Darius finds himself in. But in verse number 10, it shows Daniel in, in, in sheer civil disobedience. He doesn't compromise. He won't cave into the law of the land that contradicts the clear law of God. What we know is that God forbids praise, worship, or devotion to anyone else besides him. We shall worship no other gods besides him, bow down before any other gods besides him. This is found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 5. There are some very clear laws that Daniel is saying, I am not willing to violate and I refuse to violate the law of God. But what's also interesting here is that Daniel was already consistently in a pattern. He was already in a, consistently in a pattern that when adversity came, he was just doing what he always does. Daniel had already devoted himself to God, and he continued as usual. He had practiced consistency in his faith, and in the, and in the moments uh, when it was easier and non-threatening, he was doing it. And then when the threats came, he stayed on his mission and continued to honor God. Daniel was taken to Babylon as a young man, and he continued to mature and be elevated throughout the, the, the Babylonian and now the Medo-Persian Empire. He's continuing to rise up the ranks, and at this point, he's considered to be about 87 years old. 
So this man, for this period of time, consider all of this in exile. When he was taken from home, he was a young man. And now here he is at almost 90 years old, and he has this history of faithfulness. Our first experience with Daniel, he's saying, I would rather trust the Lord for my food than trust the king, Nebuchadnezzar. As a young man, he was already committed to the Lord. And here we see it again as an old man. He is still faithful to the Lord. He has lived a life of consistency and faithfulness. And this has produced an uncompromising character. Now, some would say, well, I mean, he's 87 years old. He doesn't have a ton to lose. I think that's missing the point. I think the point is, is that when we face struggles in our life, we will default to what our consistent character is. If our consistent character is compromised, then when struggles come, we will compromise. If our consistent character is to be devoted to God, then when struggles come, we will be devoted to God. The foundation of Daniel's righteous rebellion was built by practicing habits of holiness when there was no pressure against him. So how do you know you wouldn't bend or compromise your faith if you were facing these same challenges today? Do you know that? Do you know that if the law changed and they said that this house of worship had to be closed and that anyone caught reading a Bible, anyone caught praying to the Lord, that they would be jailed? I mean, this happened so many times in the history of the world. It would be foolish for us to think that it couldn't happen. But what are some habits that we need to build into our life to develop an uncompromising Christian character? A couple of the things I just want to highlight to you. One is daily scripture reading and prayer. Daily scripture reading and prayer. One of the things I'm going to bring out to you guys next week uh, at the, um, uh, at the, the uh, town hall um, is I want us to commit to a time of reading and prayer and contemplation. Uh, and so I put together a 40-day reading plan. Uh, it kind of coincides with the season of Lent. Uh, you don't necessarily have to fast. It would be awesome if you did choose something to abstain from uh, during that period of time as you pursue devotion towards the Lord. Um, but it's a 40-day reading schedule, and it's not something that's overly um, uh, overly prohibitive. You know, I'm not asking you guys to read a book of the Bible a day. Um, but I want us to have a full overview. In that 40 days, we'll go from Genesis to Revelation to get a full overview of Scripture. For some of us, that would be the first time that you've ever gotten a full arc of Scripture in one sitting or, or in one period of time. Um, so my hope is that you would commit and let that be your initial launch into devotion. If you've not already been in a pathway of daily reading, um, one of the things, and just giving you guys this, one of the things my wife loves to do is she loves to listen to Scripture. So pretty much every single morning I wake up to Scripture being played. Um, I feel like I'm best friends with Jackie Hill Perry because she's the, 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 the person who's reading the Bible. Uh, but um, I, the daily Scripture reading is extremely important to the Christian life. Why? You have daily conversations with other people, right? You have daily conversations with the TV, right? You have daily conversations with your phone, the internet, and Instagram, and all kinds of things, right? Why not have daily conversations and daily time with the Lord? 
All right, let's continue on. So that's one, daily scripture reading and prayer. Weekly attendance at worship services. This is important to be able to slot into your schedule. This is a time where I am going to spend time with the Lord amongst the community. Amongst the community, learning together, worshiping the Lord together, taking a time to encourage and pray, pray with each other. Those things are important. Weekly attendance and worship services. Uh, confessing sin. We're going to talk about that next week and over the next few weeks. Confessing sin and building relational accountability with one or two other Christians. Here's the thing is that that's a big part. You got to, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. There is nothing in Christendom that says you get to be alone. Somebody should be holding you accountable even, either as you are walking with them, teaching them, and they get a chance to see your life, and they can call you out and be like, hey, I just had a question. You know, how come you begin every day with a beer and end every day with a beer? Answer the question. Just some, allow somebody the opportunity to hold you accountable in your Christian walk. Understanding, uh, another thing is understanding that your job for many of you is your ministry. That what you do out there is a great example of Christ to other people. And if you treat it as such, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you can be an example of God's move within your life to everybody else around you by showing this faithfulness. Daniel's job was to govern. Daniel's job was to uh, set things right and be accountable and administer and it was, a, it was a very secular job. But he was excellent at what he did, so much so that so far what we're going to see, two kings came to profess Daniel's God is the one true God. Finally, being financially responsible, paying your bills, taxes, setting aside money to give, all those things. Being financially responsible is another way of showing integrity. I once heard it read that... Uh, let me put this little caveat here. I understand that it's a man-made system, credit system, but I also, let me say this. Let me, let me go back to my original point after I've said that. The credit system also says, this is how faithful you've been in honoring your obligations. Now, I understand that there are lots of things that happen along the way, and trouble can come in, but at the same time, it, it says a lot about us. How we manage our finances is important. It's, it's important to God because it says a lot about what we value. Um, I'll leave it at that and come March, third, uh, come March 2nd if you want to talk a little bit deeper about biblical principles and financial management. Uh, Christian faithfulness is the life of doing the next obvious thing for the glory of God. A life of consistency uh, in that will cultivate uncompromising character when pressure comes. Be faithful. Be faithful. God delivers. So faithfulness will reveal opposition, and it will also reveal your Christian character. But there's more that Christian faithfulness reveals. And one of the other things that it reveals is divine deliverance. It reveals divine deliverance. Daniel disobeys the king's decree, and he keeps his routine, his habit and practice of prayer to God and the other chief officials. They catch him in this act. They catch him in doing so, and they are supremely excited 
that they have caught him in the act and that they can run and that they can go back and tell Darius, hey, you remember that decree? And they actually get him to, to recite the decree. Did you remember the decree that you said? Yeah, that decree? Yep, that one right there. Daniel broke it. Daniel broke it. It's like a middle child syndrome situation. I'm the youngest, so, you know. So they start out with a lie. They get hostile. They say that Daniel is being hostile and unloyal to the king, that he pays no attention to you, O King Darius. And Darius is saddened by what they're saying. Like, man, do you not know Daniel at this point? So they're saddened by what, he's saddened by what he's saying, but he's also sad because he knows what he has to do next. He knows that Daniel has broken this law. He knows that people have seen it. And he knows that they're asking for justice. And they, they, they implore him because you've made this statement. And remember, you can't go back on your word. You can't go back on the signed decree. I mean, that's, that's who we are. We're the Persians. We're the Medo-Persians. You, you can't go back on that. That's what we stand on. Rule and order. Laws. And they hold him to it. And as they hold him to it, Darius he commands that Daniel be brought. And as Daniel is brought, Darius is broken about it. Darius is broken about it, so much so that after he tosses him in to the pit, he says something to, to, to Daniel. He says to Daniel, may the God whom you have served continually deliver you. But he knows his hands are tied by the laws of the land. And he tosses him in there. They put over uh, the big rock um, over the pit so that he can't climb out and no one else can climb down and help him out. And on top of everything else, it says that he, they sealed it with his signet ring, which means that it would have been treason to remove that stone. So nobody else, none of Daniel's friend, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, I'm not sure if they're even still alive at this point, but they couldn't, no one can touch this thing, not even the king. So he goes back that night and it says that he can't even eat. He's so worried about Daniel, he can't eat. He's so worried about Daniel, he's just trying to find ways to get around this. But he can't deal with it. But in verse number 19, it says, at the break of day, at the break of day, Darius runs. He runs to this pit and tries to see what has happened. Did Daniel survive? Did Dan was Daniel able to escape the mouth of these lions? He's unsure if Daniel's God is truly able to deliver this righteous man, but he asks, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? He waits anxiously. Then Daniel speaks up, yes, he has delivered. Daniel is able to testify that my God has sent an angel. Sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before who? Before him. I was found blameless before him, and also before you, because they were lying. I have done no harm. So this miracle happened. Yahweh has delivered and saved Daniel from what is a sure death. And it changes things. He sent one to shut the mouths of the lions and preserve his life. So because he trusted God 
And Daniel was shown faithful to the Lord, and the Lord protected him and delivered his people, delivered his son. It's kind of hard for us to imagine ourselves in a situation like Daniel, to find ourselves in the midst of something where we could be tossed into a pit. I'm sure no one in here is facing execution uh, or anything of that nature, especially an execution of an unrighteous call, unjust call. And maybe it's not the physical sense. Maybe there are some of you who are in here today who recognize that, you know what, you are in a state of judgment because you have sinned against God, because you have turned your heart away from him. You find yourself facing a particular pit, facing a particular long-term death, a separation from God the Father. But there is one who has gone before. There is one who has faced death, faced going down into the pit, faced having the stone rolled over to lock him in, faced the divine presence of God moving that stone out of the way, taking him out of death's jaws. And that is the Son of God, Christ Jesus, our Messiah. We have come, we are here to worship him because we recognize that who he is and what he has done is the most magnificent and important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. Because what he has done in that time is he has shown us that there is nothing that our God cannot do. That he can even take a broken and bruised body that has been put into a tomb and covered up and guarded by Roman centurions and take that body and bring it back to life. And not just bring it back to life, but to send it around to make sure that everybody knows that there is life in this body. It says that he ate with them. After the resurrection, he ate with them. Thomas asked him, he said, can I touch the scars in your hands? And he said, yes, you can touch the scars in my hands. I really died. I really hung. I really rose. It actually happened. And so now what we have to do is to yell into that darkness, is God able to save? Yes, he is. He saved me. Many of the people who are here, he saved them. And that's our declaration. And that's one of the declarations that I celebrate with baptism. That baptism is our public declaration. He saved me. I rise now with Christ. Oh, it is a celebration whenever we can baptize someone who has come to know the Lord. Each one of us has rebelled against our creator and king. And a penalty for our rebellion is death. Will you pay the king no attention? As they said about... Daniel, or will you honor the Lord in your faith and trust in him? Final thing. Final thing that Christian faithfulness sparks is Christian faithfulness sparks a spiritual awakening. And one of the things that we see in verse number 25 is that things have changed. It says, then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages. We've heard this before. It was another king that did that that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and to fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 
So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel's faithfulness and consistency over these years while he was there, but also this particular miracle, Daniel's faithfulness to trust his God within the lion's den and his, his declaration that God has saved me. It's not that I was strong enough to hold these lions' mouths closed or that I was just really quick and had great endurance and I just ran all night and they couldn't catch me. It was God saved me. He's telling of the salvation of God. And as he's telling of the salvation of God, the king Darius believes. And not only does the king Darius believe, but he begins to make a decree. He begins to tell other people of the goodness of God because Daniel had to go through the struggle. That when Daniel went through the struggle and he came out the other side, it provoked within another man that I gotta tell the world about what happened because God is that good. And so here we are asking ourselves, well, why do we have to go through financial struggle? Well, why do we have to go through struggle on our jobs? Why do we have to go through marital struggles? Why do we have to go through parental struggles? Well, God will be with you in the midst of those things. He will deliver you from those things. And when he delivers you from those things and people ask you, how did your marriage get back together? Well, it was the power of God. Not counselor so-and-so. It was the power of God. He helped me. He delivered me. He saw me in the midst of my pit, and he chose to deliver me. And if you consistently, if we consistently talk about the divine power of God, it will encourage those who are other believers who want to be faithful, but it will also allow those who don't know the Lord to say, I have to know the God of Daniel. I have to know the God of those people. We don't mourn like those who have no hope. We have a hope in Christ that even those things that are dead can be resurrected, that even those things that are broken can be healed by the great physician, that even those things that are lost can be found by the good shepherd. That's who we serve, and that's why I have joy. And that's why I call upon the name of Jesus. Amen?